everybody, and welcome to This Is News. I'm Reem, joined as always by essential employee Jack. Jack, how are you this week? I'm doing well, feeling essential. Yeah, and I, I'd like to say we thank you for all your work that you're doing in retail, as I know I know it's definitely important to the coronavirus. I, not necessarily relief, but normalcy. I don't want to say, yeah, I'm a hero, essentially. Um, I'm right there with the doctors and nurses keeping society going. Uh, without me, I don't know what the people would do. I mean, my, my uh, relatives, uh, my like, great-grandfather was the uh, second wave of Iwo Jima saving our nation, and I'm pretty much doing the exact same thing, bagging groceries just like I did before this. So, yeah, I'm pretty proud. So. Okay, now that we have stoked Jack's ego, let's get into some of the news this week in what could eventually be major election news, but currently is probably not. Representative Justin Amash announced he will be seeking the Libertarian Party nomination for President of the United States. Justin Amash is a multi-term congressman from Michigan uh, who recently resigned from the Republican Party amid an ongoing feud with Donald Trump. He is also the founder, one of the founders of the House Freedom Caucus, an organization he was kicked out of due to his opposition to some of President Trump's policies. Jack, given the fact that this is a third-party candidate, um, what, what do you make of Amash's announcement? Um, I mean, I get that he's standing on principle, and it is a good thing. I mean, uh, it's kind of ridiculous that he was kicked out of the uh, Freedom Caucus for standing upon the principles that the Freedom Caucus claimed to stand for before this. But third-party candidacies really have zero shot, and uh, he may hope to get some kind of a moral revival in the Republican Party where we steer away from Trumpism and back towards a Republican Party he could feel comfortable joining. But considering that Trump has the highest approval ratings of any president ever, including Ronald Reagan within the Republican Party, I honestly don't see a logical reason to do this. It just seems like a waste of money. And uh, it's not like the Libertarian Party has ever had itself uh, like presentable or in place to win a major election. Right. So let's talk a bit about that Libertarian Party um, past. Um, last term, or last cycle, the Libertarian Party nomination was run was won by Governor Gary Johnson from Arizona, who ran with Bill Weld, and they got about 3% of the vote, which was an all-time record for a Libertarian Party candidate. Yes. But if you're Justin Amash, I don't think... I think you know you're not going to be president, right? Like, I think he knows he will not be president with this run. But yeah, he, there's no shot. Here's, yeah, so here's what I think the goal of the can, candidacy needs to be. Um, first, it needs to be to crack 5% of the popular vote. Um, why 5%? Because once you hit 5% popular vote, the party qualifies for fund matching from the Federal Elections Commission, which allows for millions more dollars to go into the campaigns for third parties, which can be a really, really big deal for them. Um, and it also gives them a lot of funding towards their national convention, which can help it become a bit more of a spectacle than they currently are. Um, well, a good kind of spectacle. It's certainly been a spectacle in years past. Right. Um, I know you and I were excited that the Libertarian Party convention would be held um, here in Austin. Yes. Um, 
I know I for one was planning on at least going to experience a little bit of it. Um, so it's a bit of a shame that that got canceled, but yeah, COVID taking another thing from us. Right, mm -hmm. public safety is probably our biggest priority um, at this point in time. So I get it. Right. Um, but if I may, on on the topic of probably what Justin Amoth really hopes to do for this is not necessarily get 5% of the popular vote. I mean, I'm sure he wants to get as many votes as possible. In my opinion, I think what he's really probably looking to do is win enough votes that the Repu if Donald Trump loses, the Republican Party can go, oh, if all of Justin Amash's voters had voted for us, we would have won. And it's time to return back to those kinds of principled messages that are delivered through upstanding leaders. Yes, I think that probably is his goal, but I think that being the goal in and of itself presents a bit of a uh, glaring problem in our current electoral system. I mean, the fact that uh, Republicans voting for the next most like-minded candidate could cost them the election shows that there's some serious flaws in the Electoral College, and it's just designed where third parties can't gain traction. I mean, last election in 2016, it was a huge deal that uh, the libertarian candidate, as you said, got 3% of the national vote. And that was in a year that Donald Trump was running against Hillary Clinton. I mean, these were the two most unpopular candidates in modern American history. Neither side was really comfortable with their pick. A lot of people just voted because it wasn't the other guy. And still, third parties were barely able to make any significant impact in the election. And it really shows that our electoral system doesn't let everyone have a voice in our democratic process like it should, that if there can be so much uh, disdain or discomfort with our major party candidates, yet still everyone's forced to go vote for them in mass numbers because there's really no hope of change uh, in a minor party. Right. I mean, The way I look at it is not that we should necessarily get rid of the Electoral College, right? Because the Electoral College allows for two things, which I think are both really important. One, it forces you to get a um, it forces you to get a national geographic coalition of voters, right? Because you can't just win by only winning the East Coast, right? You have to get some West Coast states to agree. Or you can't just win by only winning the South. You have to get some Northern states right. to vote for you as well. In addition to that, I think it provides a safeguard against low turnout because a state's electoral votes aren't decided by how many voters vote in any given election. It's decided by how many people live in that state, right? So for whatever reason, the state of California had half the turnout they normally have they still would get all of their electoral votes and wouldn't only get half of them so it kind of protects the interest of the entire population um, mm -hmm. by safeguarding against ridiculously low turnout due to some kind of external factor I mean I do see that po those points I will say on the other side I haven't really seen the uh, electoral college cause candidates to have to go to a lot of places they otherwise wouldn't have. It seems like if we had a type of popular voter ranked choice or ranked choice uh, voting system that they would switch from instead of going to the four or five swing states, they would go to the four or five swing cities. But I don't see how that's incredibly different. 
And then uh, for the low turnout, I don't think in a uh, when you're having voting or an election that low turnout should be something we protect against if your candidate is unable to get the voters excited and out to go vote why should they be protected from the negative consequence of that the uh not voting is just as much as a like sign of how you feel about the political candidates as voting for one or the other and it should be reflected upon in the results right and yeah i understand that and i definitely I definitely agree that we should have um, ranked choice voting at the state level um, to determine how states allocate their popular votes, because then, let's say, I don't want Donald Trump to have a fourth term, or a second term. Fourth term. Four more years. A second. Yeah. I definitely don't want him to have a fourth term, it's, because it's, then we have a bigger problem. Then it's, um, it's King Trump, and uh, it'll be time to fight. Right, but I I don't want them to have a second term and get four more years, right? So I might put Justin Amash first on my ballot, um, but then put Joe Biden second, right? Or something right. like that, just to... And for those of you unfamiliar with ranked choice voting, the way it works is rather than voting for one candidate in our current system, you rank the candidates. So third-party candidates could have a significant impact, and if you want Justin Amash, you don't have to worry about taking the vote away from Trump. You could put Amash as your first one, and then Trump as your second. And then when Amash fails to get 50% uh, of the vote, uh, whoever is in last place gets eliminated, and your second choice is then applied. Right. Well, and it's worth noting, ranked choice of voting might have saved, or, yeah, saved the Hillary Clinton candidacy um if all of the jill stein voters had put hillary clinton right. second um because it's not like donald trump won michigan with a majority of the votes right he, he won a plurality and that's kind of that's kind of the problem with any kind of first past the post system is that you only need that plurality of votes right um, especially with the electoral college i mean we had in the uh, 1860 election it was a good thing obviously abraham lincoln won but he only got about 39, I want to say, percent of the vote. And with the current uh, demographics of the country, you only need about 27 percent of the vote to be president or 23 percent, something like that. And that's not really a sign of uh, how an election should go. I mean, if we are letting the people have a say and we decide this is a power they should have, it makes sense that the majority should pick the leader. Right. And I, I always come back to the... 2016 Republican nominating process is kind of like the pinnacle example of why may we shouldn't let pluralities rule the day and we should demand majorities because Donald Trump didn't get a majority of Republican votes in the 2016 primary. A majority of Republican voters wanted someone whose name was not Donald J. Trump, right? And yeah, it's just it's moments like that that make me kind of question why we use first past the post in the united states yeah and it would it would work for both sides i mean uh for all of you republicans if we used ranked choice voting bill clinton would never have been president and for all of you democrats if we uh, had used ranked choice voting donald trump would never have been president and that seems like a better world in both cases but uh looking right. at this uh presidential election and moving on to the candidates that actually have a shot uh, joe biden is still in the hunt for a vp and as such, we have our Veep stakes. And uh, Reem, what do you think it's looking like for uh, which woman is going to get to be vice president? Well, there's a number of kind of top contenders. Um, I think you need to look at Senator Duckworth, um, 
who is one of those Midwestern senators, but I, or Senator Baldwin. But I think kind of my top two are probably Amy Klobuchar or Kamala Harris. Um, I'm going to start with Amy Klobuchar, who is the senator from Minnesota, um, ran a unsuccessful campaign to become president of the United States this cycle, and frankly is about as close to a carbon copy of Joe Biden as you could come. Um, Female version. Right. She's female. She's lucid. She understands what she's saying. Um, All things but true. She's, she's very much the realist of how are we going to pay for Medicare for all without raising middle class taxes? Or how are we going to be able to implement a Green New Deal without completely altering the way the U.S. economy works? Right. She, she's very much the realist in the Democratic primary at the, was the realist in the Democratic primary. Right, and I will add to that, uh, when it came to the primaries, I know a lot of fellow Republicans were, uh, like me, were very concerned about candidates such as uh, Harris or Sanders uh, being extremely radical and uh, fundamentally altering the way of American life. No one felt that way about Klobuchar. Klobuchar felt just like a middle-of-the-road moderate, and I think that, honestly, a lot of Republicans would not really. I mean, they'd be upset they lost the election, but I don't think they'd care too much to have a vice president Klobuchar. I think they'd be all right with that. Right. And I just want to be clear about one thing is that whoever Joe Biden's vice president is, is probably particularly important this time around because Joe Biden has not explicitly said that he would be a one-term president. He has implied it a number of times. And so whoever his vice president is will probably be seen as a natural successor to him in the Democratic electorate so it's definitely important that people take that into account when discussing this issue yeah you're definitely right uh with his age i mean obviously we wish nothing but the best for his health and that if he was president he would make it through all four years but it's just a fact of life that he is incredibly old and there's higher stakes than usual that the uh vice president will be the president before his term is done and as such there should be more scrutiny than we would normally apply and to be clear the same would go with donald trump going into a second term as well um but there's no real reason to believe mike pence won't get the renomination as vice president at this point right and it's also worth so, yeah. it's also worth noting Sorry. one of the best benefits of klobuchar for biden would be uh that she is the senator from minnesota and she's popular there i mean uh, the only reason she didn't win uh minnesota during the uh super tuesday or maybe not super tuesday i can't remember when it was on but the reason she didn't win is because she endorsed biden and the reason Biden won was because of that endorsement. So she carries a lot of weight there, and it was a swing state last election, and it's going to be very close this election. Hillary Clinton barely won it in 2016, and having her as her vice president could lock it down as a, or as his vice president could lock it down as a safe Democratic state for what's looking like could be a very close election. Right. I mean, to be clear, the Democratic Party was anticipating having their party convention in. Minneapolis kind of as a signal of how important they thought that state was to their prospects in 2020. So it definitely would make sense from a geographic poll. Now, one that wouldn't necessarily make sense from a geographic poll, but might make sense from an ideological poll is Kamala Harris, the senator from the junior senator from California. Um, first off, she is an African-American woman, so it would aid with some of the diversity of that ticket, as not only would you have the first female vice president, you would have the first african American female vice president. Um, but Kamala Harris is a bit more of a identity politics kind of figure in the Democratic Party than Kamala Harris 
which is definitely an ideological consideration that would want to be made. Right, and uh, honestly, I don't see how she would be that good of a candidate. I mean, uh, going off of uh, how many Republicans felt comfortable with the idea of a Vice President Klobuchar, I don't know any Republicans who feel comfortable with a Vice President Harris. She is much more radical. She's very much on the intersectional left, where uh, how many boxes you check on the intersectional hierarchy of black, handicapped woman, that somehow makes your opinion more important. Plus, she's from California, and uh, Joe Biden could uh, commit murder on stage, and he's still going to win California. So it grants them very little. But I will say it would be very interesting to have the vice presidential candidate be someone who just a few months ago was accusing the presidential candidate of being friends with segregationists and uh, the stopping the progress of civil rights during his tenure as senator. Well, it's not just that that I kind of look at. For me, one of the big catches I see with Kamala Harris, or one of the, one of the big benefits I see with Kamala Harris, not really a catch, but Joe Biden benefited a lot from African-American support on Super Tuesday, and it's a big reason why Bernie Sanders lost. Um, and if you listen to people like Al Sharpton um, or Representative Clyburn, they've definitely indicated that they would be excited to see an African-American vice president on a Biden ticket. Right. And so I can see someone like Kamala Harris getting the nomination simply as kind of a way to pay back the support Joe Biden got from some of those African-American community leaders during the primary process. I am... While that could be the case, I don't, I'm not sure I see that playing out for a few reasons. First, historically, this has already been tried before, uh, not with uh, race, obviously, but with gender. In the 1984 election, uh, Mondale made a very big deal about the fact that he was going to have a female vice presidential candidate. And the polls show that uh, women didn't really care, and they all voted for Reagan in mass anyway. And now, looking at 2020, a recent poll came out that I thought was very interesting by Pew Research. And it asked Democrat, uh, Democratic voters, it asked them, uh, are you uncomfortable with the fact that your candidate is going to be an old white male? And interestingly enough, white, white Democrats were more concerned about it than black Democrats. About 49% of white Democrats thought it was a major problem that the nominee was an old white guy. Only 23% of black Democrats thought it was a problem. So I'm not really sure that they're going to care about the skin color. I think that the fact that they don't want Donald Trump to get a second term is what's going to rile them up and get them out to vote. Right. In my opinion, I wonder if it really comes down to I wonder if those kinds of examples are really examples of kind of woke signaling on the progressive side where people need to signal that they're woke all the time, which is how kind of cancel culture became so prevalent. Yes. It's actually something former President Obama actually called out. Um, mm -hmm. But if you read Twitter and places like that, like you can definitely see the fruits of that. And probably the biggest example of that might be all this speculation that alleged governor of Georgia, Stacey Abrams, is somehow Biden's best pick to be vice president. Yes, the legitimate governor of Georgia who uh, won the election by losing by 50,000 votes, as uh, many so often win. Uh, she has uh, been running around basically claiming that discrimination was the reason she lost, which is very, very scary. I mean, uh, Americans have it pretty well. We don't realize what a rare privilege it is that we live in a country where when the losing side loses, they just accept it and wait to win again next election. That's not something that happens throughout the world. Usually, 
people only accept the legitimacy of elections when they win historically. And uh, it starts a very bad precedent to uh, be running around for two years claiming you are the legitimate governor of a race you clearly lost and then being rewarded for it with a VP candidate. But it would be a rather interesting play to try to flip Georgia. It's been consistently Republican since 2000, but it is leaning towards becoming a purple state lately, especially with the unpopularity of Donald Trump. Well, and to be clear, what Governor Kemp did in that election, still being Secretary of State during an election he was running in, probably not the most advisable situation, right? But Stacey Abrams never won any kind of court case seeking to right. overturn the result of that election, right? I, and at some point, you just have to accept the fact that right. if a court of law doesn't agree with you, you didn't win the election, right? right? And, and I will say it did look on the... Uh, like on the surface, it did look kind of fishy. He did, he was Secretary of State of Georgia and he did purge votes from the voter registration. But when you look at it, you realize he was required to do that by law. Like he was just doing his job. It uh, happened, just happened to be that doing his job looked kind of awkward. Like uh, if you were running for president in 2000 and your uh, brother happened to be governor of uh, the state in controversy, even if he does his job right, it's going to look fishy either way. So it was definitely a weird situation, but uh, like you said, if the if all the courts are saying that he didn't do anything illegal, we have to accept that. And if she wins next time around, great. But if not, you lost. Right. Well, and what really gets me though is that people are saying that she's qualified to be vice president. Right. She's only ever been a state legislator. Right. I don't want Jonathan Stickland to be vice president of the United States. Right. Like. State reps are not qualified to be vice president. Right. Only first-term senators and reality TV stars. That's who we. That's who we make president in this country. <laughs> I mean, if I'm looking for a vice presidential pick, I'm looking for probably three things. I'm either looking for someone who has been in cabinet before as like a secretary of state. I'm looking for someone who is a current member of Congress, either in the House or the Senate, um, but has those connections on Capitol Hill, especially if I'm a bit more of an outsider candidate. Um, it's like for Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan was a great choice because Paul Ryan had connections on Capitol Hill that Mitt Romney didn't have. Right. Or I'm looking for someone who's a current or former governor who has executive experience, and especially if I'm coming more from the legislative side of things. Um, but Stacey Abrams doesn't check any of those three boxes right so yeah That's, yeah and even donald trump who is a very out of the box candidate obviously he made sure to get a vice presidential candidate who was the more conventional has the resources in dc knows the people he needs to call when something comes up and uh it just especially with the vice president being so important this year it she does not seem like the uh, best pick for it Right. Mike Pence was a really good pick for vice president. Stacey Abrams is not a really good pick for vice president. Yes. That's now, there's one more There's one more potential VP um, I have in mind, um, and it would be the senator from New York, um, Kirsten Gillibrand. Uh, she ran for president, suspended her campaign relatively early on before the Iowa caucuses um, because she was not gaining traction. Um Yes, I think one of my favorite moments this election season was when she was giving a speech at a restaurant of sorts and no one would talk to her. And this one woman came up and uh, she all got all excited and went, do you have a question? And the woman goes, I'm just trying to get ranch. That, uh, that sums up the uh, campaign of Christian Gillibrand. Yeah, 
and she was she was actually heralded as kind of a like great choice. She had really become kind of a figure of the Me Too movement because um, not only was she really outspoken in attacking Senator or former Senator Al Franken when it came out that he had acted improperly, she was also one of the primary attackers against now Justice Kavanaugh um, during his confirmation hearing. So she had kind of gained a lot of like that traction within the Me Too movement side of the Democratic Party. Um, but it seemed like that never really translated into any kind of concrete popularity in wanting her to be president. Right. She was honestly a boring candidate. Like, she was not exciting at all. She she did not get anyone fired up. Uh, none of her ideas seemed that original. But, uh, and to top it all off, I mean, with uh, Amy Klobuchar, you have Minnesota, could turn that into a solid Democrat state. With uh, Stacey Abrams, you could say that you can make a play for Georgia, although that probably won't, won't work out. But just like with Kamala Harris, Gillibrand's from New York. Like, New York's not going Republican. There's really no electoral gain from making Jill, uh, Christian Gillibrand your vice presidential nominee. I think the only thing it would really give Biden uh, is someone to address all Me Too issues throughout the campaign instead of him having to do it. Before I move on to some of the Me Too issues with the Joe Biden candidacy, um, I just want to give one note about why Gillibrand could prove useful, and it's that she does have a lot of Wall Street fundraising connections. Um, thanks to being senator from New York and being a bit less progressive than some of her colleagues. Um, so she does have a lot of fundraising connections that could be useful, but Joe Biden has really shown no real problems with getting large donors in the last couple months especially, so I don't really see that being something that would turn a vice presidential pick. But Kirsten Gillibrand did come out this week saying she she's not sure whether or not she believes recent allegations against Joe Biden by a former staffer regarding sexual harassment, even after she said during the Kavanaugh hearings, if a woman ever accuses someone of sexual harassment, I would always believe the woman. Yes, it is quite interesting. After a two-year hiatus, uh, Democrats have rediscovered due process. It is amazing. It went away, and as soon as it was a D by the name rather than an R, it's back. We need to uphold it. We cannot trust women anymore. They went from pure angelic creatures that never lie to uh, to uh, maybe they've got some goals that are not so pure, and we need to look into this more. But uh, yes, Joe Biden has recently been accused of sexual assault by uh, Tara Reid, and uh, it is... We kind of don't know yet. I mean, we need to, on the Republican side at least, we need to be consistent. And just as we showed at least some level of due process and waiting for evidence for Brett Kavanaugh, we need to do the same for Joe Biden. There is some evidence. Uh, she claims that it happened in 1993 is when she was uh, sexually assaulted, allegedly. And uh, we do have someone's mom calling the, is it Larry King? Larry, the Larry King show in 1993 saying that her daughter was assaulted by a powerful prominent senator but never really got more into it and the mother is now passed away and she has two more sources who say in the 90s uh, they, she told them about it but one of them right after that said that she was still planning on voting for Joe Biden which I don't think would be the uh, reaction of people who were quite certain their friend had been assaulted by the man. Right. Well, so 
here's what gets me is that it seems like everyone has flipped since the Brett Kavanaugh accusations by Chrissy Blassie Ford because during those during the Ford accusations with Kavanaugh every Republican was saying he's innocent until proven guilty there's no evidence to corroborate this why did she not come out sooner with these allegations and every Democrat was saying oh no we have to believe her she has to be right how brave she is for coming out with this right. and their media allies were kind of doing the same now that it's flipped it's the exact opposite it reminds me of how during impeachment every Democrat somehow became an originalist when talking about impeachment despite never advocating originalism before it's the exact same thing yeah, it's, Republicans are saying how dare you dismiss this brave woman she's speaking truth to power and Democrats are either ignoring the allegations or saying well we need corroborating evidence like it's there's so much deja vu but everybody's roles have flipped it is whataboutism at its finest I will say on the Republican side we need to be very cautious in how far we go there is a right way to critique the Dems and a wrong way the right way would be to point out their hypocrisy and go look y'all for Brett Kavanaugh you didn't seem to care about corroborating evidence you said believe all women which is a ridiculous standard you shouldn't believe any human all the time we all lie and uh, you seemed ready to ruin this man's life for political gain is Lindsey Graham who's generally one of the more moderate Republicans got so fired up about uh, it was truly just a partisan show it's okay to critique him for that and be like when there's a Republican you're willing to destroy him with no evidence but when it's a Democrat you could have all the evidence in the world and you're still going to protect them uh, like they did all the way back with Ted Kennedy but what would be wrong is for us to do exactly what they did like that would make us hypocrites as well just because we get a chance to go yell at Joe Biden and snap at him that could feel really good at first to get to go accuse the other side of what they accused you of but we need to wait give him the same respect we demanded of Kavanaugh uh, for Kavanaugh and wait until the evidence comes out and we're vastly sure he did this there's a there's a point where we could get enough evidence where we could be like this is bad I mean we reached that point with uh, Roy Moore where we were like this is this is terrible this guy's got to go and we could get there but we need to wait until we get there we, c we can't jump the shark on this one right I think I think it's disingenuous of either party to suddenly completely reverse course the moment it's your own side yes right and there is uh, on a broader scale we are gonna have to figure out like a universal standard to hold these people to I mean, we can't right. quite do uh, the criminal law, due process, evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, especially with the statute of limitations oftentimes being uh, far, uh, or statute of limitations being reached years before the allegations surface. So we can't quite be that strict, but we also can't let one allegation ruin a man's life. We're going to have to find a balance where we can judge our politicians by a pretty reliable uh, standard that makes sure we're not letting rapists or uh, anyone who's done terrible things with the power they've had get more power, but we also need to make sure that we're protecting innocent people at all costs. Right. I, I agree on both of those counts that there does need to be a way, or even if the statute of limitations has expired, that we still consider allegations because I, above all, I want leaders with strong moral character, right? And Right. Part of that includes not sexually assaulting other people. 
Right. Um, now, I would like to talk just briefly about CNN's role in all of this, because it has been incredible. They have the archived footage from that episode of the Larry King show. However, on platforms where you used to be able to purchase that episode of the Larry King show, like YouTube, it has now disappeared, and CNN is effectively saying, oh, I guess it got lost. Yeah, coincidentally. It is, and if you remember, this is the same CNN that during the Brett Kavanaugh, uh, I don't want to say trial, it was essentially a trial, it was his Supreme Court uh, confirmation, uh, they were having on Michael Avenatti to discuss it every day. They referred to him essentially as a hero of a republic, and he was meant to save us from both Kavanaugh and Trump. And, of course, Brett, uh, Michael Avenatti accused Brett Kavanaugh without basically any evidence of uh, participating not only in the sexual assault of Christine, Christine Blasey Ford, but of gang rape. And uh, Michael Avenatti is now facing prison time, or maybe he's already in prison for all of the crimes he's committed against his clients. So that just shows that when it serves CNN's political purposes, they're willing to rely on the littlest evidence possible. But when it's flipped and it's going to harm their political priorities, they're willing to bury the strongest of evidence. And honestly, that just gives more credibility to the allegations. If they truly believe Joe Biden did nothing, they would have no problem playing the tape. It's when you start hiding things that people get suspicious. Right. And again, I'm not excusing Fox News in this because during the Kavanaugh hearings, they dismissed any kind of allegation that Brett Kavanaugh did something wrong. And now, without any corroborating evidence, they're all hands on deck attacking Joe Biden. Right? Like, no one has played these two situations correctly. Right. And it is part of the, uh, part of the ways to see if the party, the political party, or the is good or if you're a good person is if you hold the same standard to both sides. It shouldn't matter if you're dealing with a right-wing radical or a socialist Bernie bro. When it comes to crimes committed, you should hold the same standard, look for the same evidence, and you should judge only then. The person you voted for in the last election should not decide the treatment you get when you get accused of something. We should have a standard, and one of the signs of a healthy country and a healthy public discourse is when we can hold that same standard to both sides, across aisles. Right, and if this ends up being just as uncorroborated as the Brett Kavanaugh accusations were, mm -hmm. then I'm probably not going to think Joe Biden did it, just like I, pro I think that Brett Kavanaugh probably didn't do what he was accused of doing, right? Right. If corroborating evidence does come forward, then that's a whole other thing. Right. I mean, if you look at the case of Roy Moore versus Brett Kavanaugh, I mean, this happened about the same time frame. Brett Kavanaugh, there was uh, stories of witness intimidation by Christine Blasey Ford's team, or her friends weren't, friends' stories weren't lining up with hers. There were people claiming they only remembered after they talked to their lawyers, which is a really strange thing to happen. Uh, there were wild accusations. She herself had a very odd story. But then when you looked at Roy Moore, it was pretty clear the guy did it. Uh, there were plenty of women coming out saying he did stuff. There was a local mall that claimed he was banned from it. And then, of course, uh, pro tip to anyone who's being accused of crimes, uh, don't go out and use as your defense to allege sexual assault by saying you can't be a bad person because your lawyer's a Jew. 
as uh, Roy Moore did. But uh, it was pretty clear that Roy Moore was a bad person and that he needed to lose, so he lost, thankfully. But if that's not clear and we're not sure, we have to give people the benefit of the doubt. I mean, it's like uh, Sir William Blackstone said when uh, discussing our judicial system or our justice system. He said it is better that 10 guilty persons be set free than that one innocent suffer. And that's how we need to apply this. Like, it's better that we give the benefit of the doubt and say we don't have enough evidence that you're guilty, so we're going to assume you're innocent, than to condemn a bunch of people who would other who are innocent just to be safe. Right. And uh, I will say one thing I'll add is uh, we could have seen if these allegations, assuming these allegations are true, let's say that Joe Biden did do this, we would have in past years been able to see the Republican nominee play a uh, I'm the pure and righteous candidate campaign, kind of like George Bush did in 2000 after Bill Clinton scandals. But, of course, uh, Joe Biden gets the great gift of uh, running against Donald Trump. So the odds of that having much electoral impact are probably slim to none because, well, Donald Trump isn't exactly a saint when it comes to this part of life. But I will say I think the one thing this definitely leads to is Tara Reid will have an invitation from Donald Trump to sit in the front row of every presidential debate this year. I, uh, I definitely see that happening. But... Uh, yeah. The, ma- the mainstream media has buried this story as much as they can, and I think they'll continue to do so, and they don't really seem to care about it. And speaking of things that no one seems to care about, despite the fact they may be a major deal, uh, UFOs are real. That, that was confirmed uh, just yeah, a few days ago. Yeah, the this week confirmed that they had a UFO sighting, and they still don't know what the unidentified flying object was. Um, so... Yeah. We got folks, aliens. Yeah, 2020 uh, starts out almost World War III, although not really. But then Australia was on fire. Then we get hit. Well, we had a crazy election season. Iowa didn't know how to run an election. And then we had a pandemic, and now aliens. It's just, this is the end times. We're going to see the famines, and then Revelation is just going to kick in. Jesus is going to swoop down. But uh, it's all happening. I will say, though, I don't think that it's aliens, and here's why. Donald Trump is president. Donald Trump does not have a filter. There is no way he has not mentioned aliens if there's aliens. When they asked him about it, if there were aliens, he would have been like, yep, and we would have seen him tweet footage from Independence Day with his head photoshopped on the Independence Day's president's head. We would have seen it. That's how we know when aliens are real. The fact that Trump is quiet about this shows that this is just an anomaly we can't explain yet. It's not aliens. You don't need to worry. Yeah. No, I... I don't think it's aliens. Again, UFO just means unidentified flying object. Um, who knows? Maybe the Russians have some kind of new plane that we don't know how it operates. I don't know. Um, I hope not, though. Yeah. But, yeah, like, it might just be some dude flying his own drone. Like, it is probably not aliens. If it is aliens, that is really cool. All right. I look forward to talking about that much more in depth on this. Also kind of terrifying. I mean, remember what happened to the Native Americans when Columbus showed up. But right. uh, I will say, though, that this, this news represents a call to action to the American people. This is not a coincidence. We threatened to storm Area 51. We said we were going to do it. The government has heard our calls, and they are appeasing us. They're trying to appease us. They're giving us info about aliens. If we press them harder this year, 
we could get more and we could get to the truth of this. We just need to be consistent and persistent. Like if like the National Guard of Texas was like, we will storm Area 51. Yeah, not just them. Abbott leads with a sword. Abbott leads. Okay. We give him a super wheelchair with like, what's that thing from Fast and Furious? Is it uh, nitrogen? What What's the thing that makes the car go fast? Oh, um, nitrous oxide? We put that in his wheelchair. And he leads our Grand Army of Texas... Uh, with Ted Cruz at his side, and we conquer Area 51. It's the only logical conclusion. I can't wait to watch that happen. It must uh, It must be done. Yeah, so that's all from us for this week. Thank you, as always, for tuning in, and be sure to subscribe to This Is News and give us a favorable rating. You can find us on Twitter at ThisIsNewsPod. Keep up with all our latest episodes. And as always, please tell others about this show. Jack, is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners? Yes, I would like to say stay healthy, don't get adopted, and shout out to all of you fellow essential workers. We keep this country great. Have a great week. Yeah, thank you all very much who are out on front lines, and we will see you all next week.